0: This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Nowadays, sometimes you can look at the world and think, we've gone crazy. Things seem out of control. But remember, God is always in control. Are you looking for something fresh, new, and exciting? This is the Outreach.fm podcast taking the positive message of Jesus Christ to the world proclaiming he's the same yesterday today and forever broadcasting from the upper room studios to the world are you ready let's get into it this is outreach.fm and now here's pastor William Luffman hey man we've been talking about authority for
1: over a year can you believe that and we're gonna get right back into it tonight. I'm going I've got I think a few new things I want to say to you tonight, so I want you to kind of stick with me. We're gonna to go to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna go down to kind of like our home-based scripture here. And whether you believe this is the creation originally or you believe it's the recreation like I do, really doesn't matter. But in this particular moment, God is setting some things in order on this planet. And He's already put everything else in order. He's already gotten the the sky and the sea and the animals and the plants. So he's got everything in order, but he waits and he saves the best for last. And here in verse 26, and God said, let us make man. I'm going to read this as a matter of fact. Let me read it out of the Amplified Classic Bible. God said, let us Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have complete Authority. Everyone say complete authority. Now, if someone tells you complete, does that leave any margins out on the edges? So, God, when He made us, when I when I say us, mankind, Adam and Eve, and we descended from Him. When God made man, He said, Let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beasts, and over all, I want you to notice some of these words, over all of the earth. Over everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Now, I want you to notice how many different kinds he created. Male and female. All right? So let's go back to the original. Male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, multiply. I've noticed that people that don't even go to church have no problem with that one right there. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Listen to this. Using all its vast resources in the service of God and man and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the, uh, the words that you see in these three verses, you see the words over, you know, more than once, the word over. So you see it more than once, the word all, more than once. And then the word everything a few times. So God was saying, I'm, when I put this planet in order, I've created it and it will respond to me. But however, I'm going to step out of it and I'm going to put man in charge of it and not just in a little piece of it. I mean, he's not going to be a puppet that I just move like this. I'm actually going to go ahead and give him the keys, give him the authority and everything on this planet will respond to him just like it responds to me, because after all, I'm creating Him in my likeness. And so God's intent when He put us on this earth was for us not to always be running from the devil. Now I'll just go ahead and throw it like, just throw that, throw that out into the water at the beginning here. A lot of Christians today act like, the devil's in charge. Now, he is the God of this world. And we know in Genesis chapter 3, he tricks Eve and Adam is right there with her. And, and so there is a piece of authority that gets put into his hands. But we also see how God is already begins to work, even after chapter 3, to restore that order. And he does it all the way up to the time that Jesus comes. And then Jesus absolutely restores the final pieces of it. And now puts the authority back in the hands of God's people. Can you shout amen? So again, God's God's intent was never for us to be on this earth and for us to always be running from the devil. Like, oh, he's after me, he's after me, he's after me. But his intent was that we would have dominion and we would have authority. But the truth is most Christians don't walk in their authority at all. They believe that somehow they're down here and, and they have to ward off everything every day and that they really are at... They're at, uh, at the mercy, of course, of the devil. You hate to use the word mercy, but we're kind of at his disposal. Or they believe that God's in control of everything. So, you know, whatever God wills is what, what, what's going to happen. Did you know that God, you, we've got to be smarter than to believe than to say that God's will is always done because it is not always done. He said in 1 Peter, it's my will that none should perish but all come to repentance. But there are people dying going to hell every day. So we have to see that God's, God gave up. I'm going to use a sort of a, a strange term here. God gave up his will in the garden and gave it over to man. and said, I'm going to let you choose. Deuteronomy, he put, reestablishes it. He reestablishes it with Abraham. And then he reestablishes it with Moses. And he gets a people and he establishes a covenant. And he says, really, what he's telling us, he begins to, even though the devil slips in and he gets... Takes away some of that authority, but God begins to show them how to still function and be overcomers. Because in Deuteronomy, he says, choose you this day, you know, you know, and, and well, in Exodus, he says that, but in Deuteronomy, he says, I sit before you, I record before heaven and earth, you know, I set before you death and life, blessing and cursing. And guess what? You get to choose. Say, I get to choose. I was having a conversation with a relative, I've been telling you about this. I know I talked to you about it on Sunday. And they said to me, well, I just believe that our days on this earth are numbered and there's nothing we can do about it. And we just, there's a certain day that's already predetermined and we're going to die on that day. And that's the way it is. And I said, I, I, what, kind of, what kind of scripture? Well, I mean, it says the number of days. Said, okay, but wait a minute. It says, honor your father and mother and you'll have long life. And then it gives us things all throughout the Bible to tell you how to add days, add add to your life. Now, God is omniscient. So in a sense of the word, I would agree that God probably knows everything, but God is not in control of that because he's given you the ability. You can extend your days. You can also decrease your days. You can do dumb, stupid things. I mean, if you jump out of a plane without a parachute, you die. That's your day. Goodbye. And God, believe it or not, will let you jump out of that plane without a parachute if you're dumb enough to do it. But it's not God's will for you to do that. Are you listening to me? Now, I read this uh, quote to you a couple of times, but it is so good, I wanted to read it again. This is by Rob. Reimer, not Rob Reiner. (laughs) He would never, never say anything like this. Rob Reimer said, spiritual authority is rooted in identity, expanded in intimacy, and activated by faith. What was he saying? He was saying, until you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you won't walk in much authority. But notice he said it's rooted in identity. So unless you begin to understand, I have authority. I have authority. I am not just a punching bag for the devil. It's not case sirrah, What will be, will be. Actually, I found out that I'm an overcomer. I found out that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I found out that when Jesus said, all power is given unto me both in heaven and in earth, it's the word exousia. And over in Matthew 28, I found out that when he said, now you go, he actually was not just saying, I've got all kinds of power, but I'm leaving and you're in trouble. No, he was actually saying, I have all power. I'm going, but I'm going to send you not only the exousia, if you'll go and wait in Jerusalem, if you'll go and wait, I'm going to send you even the dunamis power of God, which of course would be the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter two, because Jesus had no, Jesus did not want to leave here. And leave us as just a target for the devil to just fire at all day long. He said, go to Jerusalem, wait until you be endued with power from on high. And, uh, you know, there were about 500 people that could have gone, but only 120 showed up. But the Bible says every one of those 120 got filled with the Holy Ghost. Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then they walked out of there and they had power like Jesus had. They walked in the same, as a matter of fact, they even had some greater power if you read through. I mean, Jesus didn't even walk down the street in his shadow hill people, but Peter did, right? So we saw a demonstration of it. So what we see is, although the authority gets wrestled away from man in the garden by the devil, we see God immediately beginning to lay some tracks for man to get some of that authority back and begin to walk in it. Because God never intended for you or for me, again, to be a target. You know, I, I, I think as a pastor, the thing that breaks my heart the most is to watch people that are Christians struggle with stuff day after day, week after week, year after year, and they don't fight back. They just accept it. They just take it in. Well, you know, I guess it's just the way it is. And I guess that's just the way it goes. And as a pastor, when I know what I know from this Bible, it's like, what are you doing? Please wake up. But of course, that's why it's important where you go to church. That's why it's important you go somewhere where they teach and preach the word of God. Not a denominational you know, doctrine that was made 300 years ago by people that probably, you know, they were well-intended and I'm not saying they weren't good people and I'm not even saying some of their doctrine wasn't good. But, you know, over time you see things. I don't know about you, but when I was 15, I saw things one way. But when I got to be 40, I saw them totally different. And the problem with setting doctrine in motion By an organization and then passing it down for generations and generations, it's just possible that you might see something a little better later on. But if you're so dedicated to your denomination, now you can't even change it. There's nothing you can do about it. We need to be dedicated to the word. Can you shout amen? So he says it's rooted in identity, but it's expanded in intimacy. In other words, the closer you get to God, the more you get to know about that authority. When you get close to God, now that authority, it, it starts to expand because now you're close to God and you know him better. You know what his will is. You know what he wants for your life. You know what his desire is for you. So uh, when I dated Ginger, uh, you know, we dated for 13 months. We talked a lot. We listened a lot to a lot of preaching. There wasn't a whole lot of courting going on. I got to tell you, man, that that for her to stick with me when some of our dates consisted of, shh, I want you to hear this. I'm telling you, we'd be sitting there having dinner. She'd come over to my apartment, cook dinner, and we'd sit down and she'd go, how'd your day go? Fine. Shh. And I'd press the play on the tape player. And I, 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 so for her to stick with me, but you know, we got to know some about each other, but now here we are just celebrating 39 years, you know, just the other day. And now, I mean, my knowledge of her has expanded over the years. I know what she likes. I know what she wants. I know how to get things to happen. I know all of that because of the intimacy. A lot of people run to the altar, get born again, and then they get told by somebody, once saved, always saved. You can do what you want to. Well, a lot of them hear that. They run back out in the world and think I'm good to go. And they don't give God any attention and they never expand their intimacy with God at all. How can you know how someone is, how can you know what they think and how they operate if you don't spend any time with them? It's really an impossibility, right? But then he said, it's rooted in identity, expanded in intimacy and then, but it's activated by faith. So you've got to be somewhere where somebody teaches and preaches some faith to even get what God says is yours. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe two things. Number one, that he is God. And number two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All of that in one verse in Hebrews 11 and 6. So you go somewhere where somebody tells you about what God said, that if you believe he is God, you follow him, you serve him. Guess what? Then you also need to know there's some rewards. And they're not all for heaven. I was taught in the Pentecostal church that I got born again in as a young 17-year-old long-haired hippie back in 1976, I was told that don't expect too much while you're here, but if you can hold out, it's going to be really good when you die. So really, the only thing you had to look forward to was dying. Right? I mean, there's really much more to look forward to. And I really remember this. I really remember this. I remember riding in a car one day with a couple of our, our uh, preacher friends, I was—I I think I might have been 18 about that time—and I was riding, and we were going somewhere to a church meeting, somewhere way out on the other side of Camden, Tennessee, and, and we got to talking about, you know, God and and all of that. And the more we talked, and the more they talked, the more depressed I got. Well, you just don't know who's going to make it. We just don't know. You just don't know what God's going to do. I thought, wow, Lord, the more more we talking here, I'm getting depressed. (laughs) But you see, the Bible says you must believe that God is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. But notice he said, he starts that whole verse off and he starts the whole chapter off, Hebrews 11, talking about faith. You're gonna have to get some faith in you. So if you go to a church that doesn't teach a lot of, I'm talking about Bible faith. See, we'll say, well, I have faith and all they're saying is I believe that there's a God. Well, the devils believe there's a God. The Bible says the devils believe there's a God and they tremble, but they're sure not. So if you're talking about, I believe in God, I believe there's a God. Well, that's that's not, that's not really the kind of faith we're talking about here. This kind of faith, the Bible says in in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. This kind of faith reaches out into things that aren't even there and says, I'm trusting and believing God and I'm standing on God's word for this. Every Christian should have a vernacular that at least says, well, this is what I'm believing God for. And did you know there's a whole section of Christians, and I'm not talking about a few, I'm talking about a high percentage that never use that phrase. If you went up to some Christians and said, what do you believe in God for? They go, what? Well, what do you believe in God for? What do you mean? Well, what have you got your faith on? You know, the scriptures you've gone to God with and you know, you're doing what God said and what, are you, what do you believe in God for? They don't even know what we're talking about. It's a shame that they don't understand that that's how, God, that's how you appropriate the things that God has for you. You, you don't just get them automatically. Now, they're, they're supplied but you can't obtain them without faith. They're provided, but it's like somebody putting $10,000 in your bank account, but you don't ever do anything to withdraw it. And you sit around and go eat peanut butter the rest of your life. Like I've done before. Amen. Now, so God's purpose originally, and it has never really changed, is for, was for us, his people, to represent him in the earth. God did not do this, tie one hand behind our back and try to make it difficult. He tried to free us up. That's why he said, let them have complete authority. When when you say let them have complete authority, you just feel like it's like, just, just let them go, man. Just let them have it. Let them run with it. God loves to see his people running with his word. Can you shout amen? So what is authority given for? I'm going to give you a term that I haven't used and it's amazing that I haven't used it in all these sermons we've had. But it's true in the Bible and it's true in the world. Authority is given for you to govern with. That's why you're given authority. There wouldn't be any purpose for it otherwise, but someone is given authority so they can govern with it. They are in charge. Everyone say in in charge. Now this is shocking for a lot of Christians for them to find out that they're actually in charge. Because again, they've been told, you know, whatever it is, it is. And you just don't know. And you don't know what God's going to do. And, you know, after all, it's generational and it's in my family. You know, we all, all of us over here. And I mean, just every single one of us have asthma. Really? Because I thought you were in charge. Do you want asthma? Do you want breathing problems? Do you want cancer? Well, it just runs in our family. You got to say, it runs to me and stops. I serve the living God. There's a name that's being given above all names. It really means it supersedes, it governs over every name that is named. But a lot of Christians, again, they don't even know they're in charge. They get up every day and if the wind blows this way, they go. If the wind blows that way, they go. And I, I use the illustration here many times. The problem is if you're in a running with a bunch of people that believe the same thing, you're just in the herd. And you just, you just get bumped around. And, he, and if the herd goes this way, you don't even have any choice. You're just going with them. There's no way for you to even, to, you know, for you to have that breakthrough day that God wants you to have. So authority is given for you to govern with. Well, if it's given for you to govern with, you need to govern. Wow, what a revelation that is. Go to uh, Isaiah, brand new scripture. Brand new in this series. Not brand new, of course, but brand new in this series. Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22. Just as an illustration, I wanted to use this scripture. Now, this is a prophecy uh, where the prophet Isaiah is seeing some things, of course, which is what prophets do. They are seers. That's why they're called prophets. They're seers. They see things. And he's talking about uh really again, Israel's plight and how they're, they've caused themselves to be go into captivity, even talks about captivity in this, in this particular chapter. But then he talks about my servant, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And he's talking about, but there is another one of my He said, I got a lot of people and they are just totally out of the wheel. They're totally just, and, and, and it's, They're going to reap what they're sowing. But I do have this one over here that is a little different. And see, you want to be the one. You want to be the one. If everybody else in your family, no no offense, and not not trying to be mean or cruel or anything or unfeeling, because you know how I feel about everybody and love everybody. But if everybody else, you know, gets cancer, you got to be the one that doesn't. You got to be the one that stops that thing and it's tracked so it can't go into your children and your grandchildren and so that the whole turn in your family starts with you. Amen. Say, I want to be the one. Now notice here. So he says, again, uh, he said, I'm going to call him my servant. And then verse 21, I will clothe him with your robe, with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. I will commit your government. Everybody say government. Now see, we're talking about authority here. I'll commit your government into his hand and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah and the key of the house of David Will I lay on his shoulder and he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open and I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. Listen to these things here that when you get into government, when, when you're in charge, you get, to decide, you get to decide what opens and you get to decide what shuts, right? And then look here. And I'll fasten him as a nail in a sure place and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. Uh, uh, And so so on and so forth. Then he goes on and on and we can just read the rest. But but this is what I wanted to point out to you about how government works. He said, you know, when you get in government, you get to decide. You're in charge. You decide whether that gets to come in or that doesn't get to come in. All right, listen to me. You get to decide. You make that decision because you have authority. Right. And then if there's something that's not in and you need it to come in, you get to open. I want that. Bring that in. Isn't that what people who govern do? No, 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 not that. Yeah. Yeah. that. That's bring it in. Bring it here. Isn't that right? Love. You've been in the military. Uh, when there's a person of authority in the room, when they say do this, what happens when they say, stop that, what do you do? You stop, don't you? And why is it? Do they physically come over and put you in a headlock and beat you down in the ground and kick you? No, they just say the word because they know they they are in charge. Are you hearing this tonight? Say, God God wants me to be in charge. charge. How many of you want to be in charge? And you know what I love about this? It'll work for a 10-year-old. It'll work for a 20 year old. It'll work for a 50 year old. My, my young, my oldest daughter who last month just turned 44. I mean, my, my oldest daughter turned 44. My youngest is 30, 37. I don't know if Rachel will care if I say, but anyway, my oldest daughter, who's 44, when she was five, I want to say five. And, uh, I've been, and she'd been hearing this. I took her to some some Copeland meetings, man. And, and we slept in the van in those days, didn't have any money. And I'd sit her right there on the front row, brother Copeland. I mean, we, we got there early and and he's five feet away preaching the word. And you, you know, she's a squirmy little old, you know, little kid, but you know what? Put them where the word is. And she heard me singing that song. I cannot be defeated. And I was playing it around the house a lot in those days. And, uh, and she heard me say a lot of things about, you know, the name of Jesus has power. You speak to things in the name of Jesus. You speak to things in the name of Jesus. Because we have lawful right, legal right to use his name as if he is there and we can govern with his name. And she's at a house and you probably heard this story if you've been here very long. But she was at a house and all the doors were locked. And the person with her said, well we can't get in. We don't have a key. And her, this person was checking the front door and trying to raise windows and went around the back, couldn't get in the back door, came back around. And when she came back around from checking the back of the house, my daughter was standing in the living room. And this person said, how in the world did you get in there? She said, well, I just said, in the name of Jesus and opened the door. Now, I'm not telling you that'll happen every time, but I'm telling you it happened for her. You wanna, and I think the reason it happened for her is her faith was not tainted with, well, you never know. Well, you just don't know what God's gonna do. If it's his will, her little brain hadn't been infested or infected with all that junk. Can you shout amen? So listen to this then. We read from these scriptures. So... Uh, authority is to govern with. It is for binding. And some words that go with binding are the words closing and shutting. You know, you can shut some things down that are going on in your life that you don't like with your authority if you know what you're doing. Amen. So I'm shutting that down now. That stops now. Now, if you're around a person that has real authority, can they do that? I mean, if you're, I'm talking about if you're around somebody and I'm not taking the spirituals Pardon, putting it over here for a second. But if you're in a place where the person in that room has ultimate authority, can they shut things down? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what most Christians do is they don't. They put up with it. And then they adjust to it. Well, Well, I guess it's, I guess someone, you know, I've had this since I was seven. I guess I'll have it till I die. Really? Come on now. So he said here, using the illustration in Isaiah 22, that part of governing is that you can shut some things down. Then he also talks about opening and he says, and none shall shut. So, uh, uh, but but let me give you a little more of a definition here though for, for closing and shutting first. So closing, shutting, what is shutting? Shutting is putting a stop to things that are wrong and destructive. It's time for us as Christians to put a stop to some things that are in our lives that are wrong and destructive. Well, how do you do that? You take authority. You remind the, the airways, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of this darkness, the spiritual weakness in high places that they're not in charge. Actually, you are. Because you've been given the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the power of the great Holy Spirit, the word of the living God. You are a believer in Him, right? That's why he said you're more than a conqueror. Yes. My Lord, we, it'd be good if we just get some Christians to being a conqueror, let alone more than a conqueror. If we just get them to conquer and stay at stage. It would be good. Anybody home tonight? I'm even glad you came to church. Amen. See what well, tonight you you made a really wise choice because tonight you're being reminded I'm in charge, yeah. and I'm not putting up with this anymore. This junk is not. I am not letting this. No, this is not going to happen around me anymore. No, it's not happening in my in my life. Amen. So putting a a stop to destructive and wrong things in your life. If you have authority, you can do that. Now, moving on to the thing about opening. We use another word. We would say loosing. Loosing some things that need to be loosed in our lives. Opening some things that need to be opened up into our lives. Things that have been unjustly held back. or kept from someone to whom it belongs. Now, do we have a right to health. This is Old Testament. It's not even, we don't even have to wait till we get to when Jesus shows up on the scene. By the way, he went about preaching and healing, preaching and healing, preaching and healing. It says it all over the Bible, all over the four gospels, preaching and healing, preaching and healing. But that was Jesus and now that was Jesus. Okay, but these signs shall follow them that believe they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall die. But I know some people that pray for some people and they died. And you want to know why? Because we still don't really fully believe that we're in charge. We still surrender our authority. And just because you pray for somebody that died doesn't mean that you shouldn't take authority the next time. I've, I walked into so many hospital rooms in my life and I prayed for a lot of people that died and a lot of, a lot more that live, but a lot that have died. And I've never walked out of there going, I guess this thing doesn't work. No. I'm going to do what the Bible says, lay hands on the sick. That's my part. Yeah. That's, that's all God asked me to do. He didn't say go in there and go, I'm not a witch doctor. Amen. Stick this up your nose, sip on that, no, I'm not do that. No, I go in there and lay hands on the sick, right? That's all God asked me to do. That's all He asked me to do. Some of the reason that some of the people that die, die early. And I'm not trying to get into all that. I know that it could hurt a lot of people's feelings or thoughts. And and I could be totally wrong about some of it. And I'm sure it's not true every time. But a lot of it is because that person doesn't know that they have authority. And the devil's driven their life to this point where he's just overwhelmed them. Now, the good news for us as Christians is if you die, it's gain. You go to heaven. That is the safety net that's been put under us. But I don't believe God wants us all to die, you know, just like that. You know, fight back. My God in heaven, what a, get, get, a, get, mama, you know, get a backbone. Right? Praise God. I'm getting a little spunky up here tonight now, y'all. So, listen to what opening means this loosing things that have been unjustly held back are kept from those to whom it belongs. That's you. There's some things that belong to you. Remember where Jesus said, and I read it, we we did a whole study on it, where he said, uh, when he cried over the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you would have known, he said, if you just would have known the things that belong to you. He was prophesying that in 70 years, Jerusalem was going to be raised. And I don't mean this way, raised, R-A-Z-E-D. It was going to be flattened to the ground. This wonderful, beautiful city that he walked in that they didn't think anybody could penetrate. But history tells us that 70 years later, it was raised to the ground. And Jesus said, he wept over it. He said, if you would just have known what belonged to you, you could have stopped this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you see how big that is? If we would just know what belongs to us, then we could stop some things. Now don't shout me down now because it's Thursday night. Amen. We're not going to try to rush home to to see who's, I don't even know who's playing tonight, don't care, football, don't even care. Are you hearing me? So the job of the pastor when you come to church is to tell you what belongs to you. Because if you don't know, there's no way you're going to get access to it. You're not even going to try to get it. You're not supposed to just go to church, have three nice little songs, the pastor comes out, has three points on a poem, tells everybody, well, I sure hope you make it the rest of the week. It's bad out there, hope you make it. That is not the job of the pastor. The job of the pastor is to represent Almighty God and preach His Word and let you see what God said about you. Challenge you to walk the walk. Challenge you to talk the talk. Challenge you to come on up. Sure, absolutely. We don't, we don't preach a loose gospel here, greasy grace, where you can just do whatever you want and then come to the house of God and ask God to bless you. A lot of people ask me to pray for them and I'm thinking, well, when's the last time you prayed for yourself? Because all right, all right. if your prayer life is down here and you're asking me to pray for you, God could do a miracle. God could do a work, but it's not likely because we have some personal responsibility here. Something that we don't preach in America, we don't preach it at work, we don't talk about. I saw the other day where one school system is removing uh, the F grade. Did you see? They're they're not going to give anybody an F because they said, we can't make them feel like a failure. (laughs) Then why even go to school? If you're going to pass everybody, put a medal on every kid that walks out there, even if he falls over his feet and doesn't even try to practice when he goes to play whatever sport he's under, you're going to put a medal over his? Then why in the heck do we even do it? Yeah, come on. Now, don't shout me down now. <laughs> come on now. Somebody in here shout amen. amen. Or maybe you're going to shout oh me, I don't know. So we have authority. Now we see it. Boy, I'm going to say a couple things here. They're going to be kind of big. So I'm going to try to say them the right way. When Jesus walked this earth, did he walk mainly, question, as the son of God or the son of man? He walked as the son of man. That's why he came down and took on a flesh body. There was no need for him to walk down here as a son of God if he was going to take on a flesh body. The whole point was he's coming in the flesh to redeem people in the flesh and to walk a sinless life so that the end of his journey, when they nailed him to the cross and the devil thought that was the end, he forgot about one thing. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus didn't sin. And he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Amen? So now, if we agree, and it sounded like most of you do agree, that he walked mainly as the son of man, how did he do what he did? Man, he healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils. Well, I mean, he did it because he was the son of God. No, 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 no. no. Because he lived on this earth 30 years and never did a single miracle. It was only the last three and a half years that he did anything of noteworthiness that we know about. Well, he got the power of the Holy Spirit, had to come on him as a human being and empowered him. But it wasn't just the power of the Holy Spirit. I challenge you that he also knew enough about the Abrahamic covenant and how it worked and he even brought it up more than once. He would would bring up Abraham to them in a heartbeat like that. When the Pharisees and Sadducees would try to make something out of something, he'd go, Yeah, well, what about Abraham's covenant? Because God made a covenant with Abraham. I'll take care of you. I'll sustain you. I'll bless you. I'll protect you. I'll multiply you. No matter what the devil, and he was basically saying, even though the devil has some authority in this planet, I'm going to put, I'm going to cut a covenant with you and you can still have some authority against him. All right, you don't believe me. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. It's not in my notes, but I know where it is. It's not in any of my notes. I know upstairs are probably looking around. Where is he talking about Luke 13? Well, well, I know where Luke 13 is in my Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want to show you something. I'm going to show you a couple of things here. I may stay off my notes here. I like staying off of them anyway. Then, then I have to trust God completely. So here we are, Luke chapter 13. Uh, Jesus, verse 10. And, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, let me just establish a simple little truth that we say in here a lot. If you don't think you need to go to church, then why, does, why did Jesus go all the time? Oh, you must be more spiritual than Jesus. We find, When he was 12 years old, we find him in the church. And his mom and daddy wasn't even in the church. He was so turned on to God, they were, they were taking a journey and they were heading back home. He's like, you you do what you gotta do, but I'm gonna stay here. I, I must be about my father's business. And he's back there in the church. And we need our young people in church. You know what's really encouraged me the last few weeks and months in this church? I know we don't have the big group here tonight. but We had huge attendance here on Sunday. It was good. But I've been seeing more young people. And I'm talking about And I'm not going to use my age now like I normally do. But, but I'm talking about teenagers, 20-somethings, 30-somethings. I've been seeing them coming into this church on Sunday. It really excites me. If you're going to raise your family, raise them in church. Because that world won't tell them who they are. That world, that world doesn't even know who they are. They don't even know which bathroom to go in. Now I'm not busting on anybody. Don't get mad at me if you do. Yeah, whatever. Verse 11. And behold, there was... He was in the synagogue. Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. So she was, she was like this for 18 years... Not for 18 days. I mean, some of us can't even endure 18 minutes of anything, but not 18 days, not 18 weeks, not 18 months, 18 years, she probably never saw anyone's face. All she saw was the ground. Are you hearing me? Say this with me. She was stuck. That's what it sounds like. In the same position for 18 years, sounds to me like you're stuck. Now let's look what happens here. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Now, I always think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't go to very many people at all. He offered to go to centurion for the servant, but he very seldom does. I mean, blind Bartimaeus. This sounds like it's pretty cruel. Blind Bartimaeus crying out, have mercy on me. Shut up, shut up. Have mercy on me. What do you want? Want my sight? Well, come on over, beckon him to come over here where I am. Why is Jesus doing that? He's trying to get some faith in him. Right? So he said unto her, he called her to him. So he didn't go over to where she was, poor thing. He made her walk over to him. And again, we're in a a time now where we won't let anybody do anything for themselves. We won't let anybody work out a problem for themselves. We won't let anybody, anybody, oh my God, poor thing, I better help them. I'm not afraid to say it if DJs don't play it. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Say she became unstuck. But there's more to the story and that's why you can't stop reading here. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Hmm. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. And them, therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. This is religion. This is how religion works. That's why you can't be in a religious church. You got to be in a word church, a God church. Amen. The Lord then answered him and said, oh, you wonderful person, you. I want to speak kindly and gently to you because I'm Jesus and I'm the one that carries the sheep. And I speak very kindly to everyone. Is that what he said? He said, you hypocrite. That's little, that's kind Jesus. By the way, they are still at the synagogue and there's a lot of people there and he calls him out. You hypocrite does not each one of you on the Sabbath, they loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering. He said, I happen to know, I know how you're kind. You go out there every morning, you take care of your animals and feed and water them. You're trying to stick by the letter, the letter of the law since you can't even do that. So you're going to put the letter of the law on this woman right here. But here's the clincher. Verse 16. And ought not this woman. Here it is, the covenant. The authority was still in effect being a daughter of Abraham. He talks about it. He said, now you know, just like I know, that there was a covenant God cut with, our, with Abraham, our father. And her, she's a daughter Of Abraham, whom Satan, not God, trying to teach her something. Hello. Well, God put that on them, you know, just to make them get closer to him. God put them in that wheelchair so they'd cry out to his name. Terrible, horrible, unbiblical theology. And it's been preached to us. We've been force-fitted. They've opened our mouth and shoved it down our throat. What about Acts 10, 38 that says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of whom? The The devil for God was with him. But look at this. Shouldn't she, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. Good for them. They needed to be. So the point here though is the big point is he said to them, You got upset. You know, you've heard me preach this before. You got upset because she got healed on the Sabbath day. You've had her for 18 years on six other days of the week. What's your excuse for her not getting healed? Because after all, she's a daughter of Abraham. She had a covenant of healing. But see, Jesus knew how to walk in authority. And he didn't do it as the son of God. He did it in a human body as a human man to show us that it's possible for us to walk in authority on this earth in our flesh and take authority over the devil. Are you convinced? Because you know I got more scripture. Go over to Matthew. Let me see if I can find this in Matthew. I might have put this in my notes. I can't even remember I think it's Matthew, maybe chapter, I want to say eight. Just give me a minute to look there. If you love the Lord, shout amen. amen. Say, I'm in, I'm in charge, not the I'm devil. devil. Matthew chapter eight. And let's go, now this is the story that we also could read in a couple other of the Gospels, including Mark 4, about how they get in the boat and then they go out and there's a big storm. And, and of course, you know, they're, they're all afraid and Jesus calls them out for their fears. says, why do you not have any faith? And he calms the storm and so on and so forth. So now notice this, uh, verse 28. And when he was come to the other side, into the uh, country of the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes, it says in one of the translations, uh, the, the madman of Gadara here, we're, but notice here, uh, Matthew tells us there wasn't just one. One of the other gospels only cites one, but there's actually two. It says there were two possessed with devils. They get now here. They've just come through a monster storm that they barely survived and they could have they could have sailed to the other side, but they waited till the boat was almost overflowed with water before they did anything, and then they didn't do anything but call on Jesus because they didn't use the authority that they had, because Jesus called them out. Why did you use your faith? Right? So now they've survived this major storm. Whew, man, we're going to get to the other side. We're going to set up a little camp on the lakeside. We'll get a few fish. We'll, we'll lay back and rest. after. Boy, after that herring experience, we're going to get a break. But no, they go to the other side, and they're met him, <laughs> two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, that no man might pass by that way these two dudes were so bad nobody no if anybody was going that way they'd make a big huge bow around them and not get close to them that's how bad they were bad all right George or okay now and behold now remember they, they, Jesus is now on the shore and behold they the the men with the demons in them cried out saying what have we to do with you Jesus The son of God. Are you come hither to torment us before the time? They recognized Jesus as the son of God. And they they knew what was spoken. That there was going to be a time when he would deal with them. But they said, wait a minute. You're not supposed to show up yet. And see what they didn't realize was he wasn't in son of God mode. He was in son of man mode. Are you hearing me? Now we should be we should be so full of the great holy spirit and so full of god and so close to him that we walk into a room the demons go oh, god, it's here. right see and we read this in a couple other passages where the demons recognize him he said don't it's, 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 you're right it's not my time I don't but I don't need to be in Son of God mode to deal with you. And of course they plead with him to, you know, the demons say, well then, will you send us into some pigs? So he calls them out and sends them into some pigs. It's the first time we've ever seen deviled ham. I had to use that. It's an old, it's an old preacher joke. I had to go there. It's an old preacher joke. It works though. Every time it works, so why not use it? see, if we don't watch it though, we will dismiss our authority because listen, something else that comes with authority that most people don't want is responsibility. And if we can say, if we can act like, when somebody tells us we have authority, like you didn't hear it, then we can also dismiss when bad things happen or we get into a bind why things aren't going to work out because we can say we didn't know about it. And we throw it off on God. Well, God did this to me. God caused the storm. God caused the wreck. God killed that person. God did this. And we throw it off on that. And it, and it, it, it completely uh, frees, up, uh, frees us of the responsibility. Now, I don't, know what, I don't know if you, and I'm not, listen, folks, you know me. You know, you know I love you. I don't know if you know the depth of what I'm preaching tonight. Because what you're hearing tonight is not being preached everywhere. I don't know if you understand the quality of this message and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the Bible. What I'm preaching to you tonight can revolutionize your life and change a pattern for generations to come if the Lord doesn't come back, which I can't see how that's going to last, but he's God and I'm not, but but it could change generations to come if you grab hold of it. But you got to be bold, be strong for the Lord your God is with you. It's an old song. Only a couple people know it, I'm sure. Now, so we're working our way through this again. So again, we're finding out that we are in charge. Now, if you're in charge, you think differently. Don't you? You act differently. Now, in a household, the proper order is the parents are in charge. The children are under submission and are supposed to fall under the authority. Now I know some households where it's the other way around where the kids call all the shots. And you know what? It's chaos. And it's totally out of order. And it's not biblical. Like I said, when, we were growing up, when our kids were growing up in our house, not one time did we say, do you want to go to church? If it was church today, we, we, well, you're the pastor. I wasn't the pastor the whole time. Are you hearing me? But I knew who was in authority. And there were times when they got to be 12, 13, 14, they weren't all that excited about going to church. I I said, get in the car. Well, that just drives them away from God and they run into the world. That is such a bunk. That is such a bunk. So, okay, so your solution is let them make make a choice that they're not yet qualified to make. Well, I know so-and-so and they made their kids go to school to church and now they're out running in the world. Well, I know a lot of people out running in the world never been to church in their whole life. So let's, let's not try that one. Yeah. Well, what I'm trying to say to you is authority. When you're in authority, you act differently. You, when you're in authority, you might, you might do this because you want to feel the pulse, but you're not obligated to take a vote. Find out what's popular. Find out what everybody else wants. You're not obligated. Now you might, if you're a good leader, there are times you want to hear what people think and say and, 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 and you're, not, you're not dismissive of people. But you know what I'm saying. When you know the obvious choice, and this is the one that will help us. Remember Paul tried to tell them, don't sell. Don't sell. They said, we're going to sell. We're sailors. I'm telling you, don't sell. We're selling. They did. And, and if it hadn't been for Paul being there, they'd all drown. Remember that story in the book of Acts? He said, I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. Oh, you're in charge. Yeah, you did a good job. Can you shout amen? All right. Don't shout me down now. I only got just about, you know, maybe another five or ten minutes. Can you handle it? All right, let's read. uh, Let's read again from Matthew 16. We're in Matthew anyway. Let's just read there. Uh, Let's read this. I'm going to read it from from the King James Version. I said, uh, I was talking, I was down at the church in Florida, at our church in uh, Orlando, preaching for Alan and Julie uh, three or four weeks ago. And I said, I, now, now I'm going to read out of the King James Version. And I cut my teeth on it. I didn't realize there was a whole generation that didn't have any clue what I just said. They said, what do he do? What did he do, fall on it and... I honestly, they came to me afterwards and said, I have one question. I thought, man, they're going to ask me something theological. I hope I remember the theses and the homiletics for this thing. They said, why does cut your teeth mean? I said, do what? They said, you said you cut your teeth on that. What'd you do? I was like, you didn't know that. I didn't know that they didn't know. I said, well, it means I, this is how I was broken in on the king james version that's what i studied in the early days you know like as a baby cuts their teeth they, you know, they're like oh <laughs> so i cut my teeth on the king james version so we're gonna we're gonna start there but we'll read it from one more version so uh, uh let's see matthew 16 verse 13 when jesus came into the coast of Caesarea philippi he asked his disciples Whom do men say that I, the son of man? Notice he keeps calling himself the son of man. Who do they say I am? And they said, some say you're John. Remember, John's already been executed now by the time this is asked. John the Baptist, some say Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Now the most unlikely one of the 12, maybe besides Judas, speaks up. Because Peter was like this. When the wind blew left, he went left. When the wind blew right, he went right. But man, oh man, was he on his game that day. And Jesus said, and Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, ding, 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 Right? Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys. Hmm. See, keys represent a certain measure of authority because they open things and they give you access. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that, why would you need the keys of the kingdom of heaven when you're not in heaven yet? Do you ever think about it? Well, Jesus wanted him to have access to heaven while he was still on the earth. Amen. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, not in the sweet by and by when we all get to heaven. I read, I listen, all those songs, I know them all. I cut my teeth on them. (laughs) And I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you shall bind on earth. So without the keys to heaven, we can't bind anything on the earth. Right? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, let's read this from from the message Bible actually. Uh, It says this, Jesus came back. He said, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. Remember, we've been reading this one. This is a great verse. Listen to what it says. Jesus said then, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are. This is what we're supposed to do as Christians pastors as preachers to tell you who you really are. You are not a punching bag that the devil gets to just do whatever he wants, kick you, stomp you, spit on you, make you sick, break your arm, take your money, steal your kids, get you depressed, beat you down, beat you up. That is not who you are. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. You're not Simon, the reed that gets blown around by anything. Actually, I've given you, a, I see you, you are a rock. And listen, rocks are strong. He said, this is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Kick down the doors of hell to get what you want. If hell's, you know, we used to sing this song back in the 90s. I'm going to the enemy's camp. I'm going to take back what he took from us. And we'd sing that song real loud. "He's He's under my feet. 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 Yes, the devil's under my feet. Right? Verse 14, or uh, I think 16, and, or 19, excuse me. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdoms, key kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is a no in heaven. So you say, yes. Get in here now. No, that is not coming into my life. No, you're not bringing that sickness in here. No, you're not bringing death in here. No, you're not bringing lack in here. No. And the Bible says, when you know who you are, when you know who you really are, you have the authority and the right to say yes when you want to say yes and no when you want to say no. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Give him a hand clap right there. That's a good place to shout. Now, what's important for me to say to you is to give you a caveat with this. Because this won't work for you just when you want to do it. When it's convenient. When you get in trouble. You're going to have to walk with God. Seek when the kingdom of God. Third, fifth, ninth, tenth. Oh, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. I'm so glad that when Ginger and I got married, we had been through each of us a horrible relationship way early in life, a complete train wreck. Neither of us were serving God in those days. But when we met each other, we met before God. Uh, We courted, like I said, with preaching and, you know, in church. And then we got, uh, you know, got married in 1982, 39 years ago. We started our marriage off by saying, this is the way we're going to live. This is what's going to go on in our house. We got in total agreement about it. And that's the way we set the course to live our lives. And here we are 39 years later. And I'm telling you, we haven't done this at all. No, not bragging. I'm not telling you we haven't had to call on the Lord. I'm not telling you we're perfect. I'm not trying to, but I'm telling you, we have not done this. And we haven't done what Luke 9, 62 says. No man having put forth his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We've had our face just like Jesus did, like Flint. And we've had it straight ahead. We, have, yeah, we've had hard. St- we've had some storms. We've had some hardships. We've had to endure a lot of different things, but we've held. We've held fast our faith, and we've never said, "Well, I guess we're just going to die and they're not going to work." And I, I tell you, and we've never said that crazy stuff. Or we haven't chosen to serve God on our terms. If you're going to get what I'm talking about tonight and walk in it, I want to make sure you're not hearing me say, "You walk out of here tonight and just say whatever." Stop. Go. Stop. Go. Listen. The demons, remember we read this about three sermons back, how uh, those people over there tried to imitate Paul, the seven sons of Sceva, and tried. And they, listen, this is so big. I don't know why I hadn't seen it all these years. Let me do this. Now you know I'm a good preacher. I'm spitting. Uh, Or at least I'm a spitting preacher. So we, remember we said this a couple of services ago, and I'm telling you what, I hadn't seen it before. The amazing thing was, well, anything in the name of Jesus above all names. It depends on who's using it. Amen. The Bible says the seven sons of Sceva used the name of Jesus, and those demons said, "Oh no, you can't pull that on us. Paul, we know, and Jesus, we know, but who in the world are you? We know you don't know what you're doing." And they came out and just about killed them and stripped them of all their clothes, and they took off running. So I, want, I don't want you to misunderstand that what I'm telling you tonight is I can just walk out of here and go, Jesus' name, stop, Jesus' name, go, and it'll work. Listen, honey, the demons know whether you're real for God or you're a window shopper. All right. Or if you're, a, if you're a casual Christian, and we have so many casual Christians, I'm sure in the world, but I can certainly tell you they're in America. People serve God at their convenience. They come to church at their convenience. They tithe at their convenience. They pray at their convenience. They read their Bible at their convenience. And and it's all on their terms. And I don't know where we get that from. Because we sure can't get it from that Bible. Can we? Even in the Old Testament, God told Joshua, now you're going to take over and everything that worked for Moses will work for you. But you have to meditate in the Word day and night. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. He's saying that now it's all available, but there are some things you have to do. So when you preach a message like this, you have to be very cautious that people don't get the impression. I can just go out and boss the devil and boss my life. I'm in charge and do it. Okay, but make sure your lifestyle and your commitment to God is where it should be. Or what's going to happen, you're going to try to use the name of Jesus and the demons are going to run over the top of you. Well, you say, well, I, damn, Pastor William, you're kind of hammering on me tonight. Good. Good. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I'm so glad. I didn't want to preach a nice, I, I'm not here to put chocolates on your pillow. Tuck you in with, you know, with some milk and cookies. Amen. Okay. I'm not here to do this for me. And listen, everything I preach to you, guess who hears it first? Amen. Don't think that God doesn't bust me out. He does. And I, I, I tell the Lord every day, please show me and tell me. If, if where I'm missing it at. And I got to tell you this much, he never fails to do it. <laughs> if you ask God to tell you, yeah. get ready. He's going to tell you. So, summation. We are in charge. We have authority. We can control A lot of what goes in our lives. Now, we're in a world that has a lot of stuff going on. There is a devil that's going to send attacks. I'm not saying he's not going to attack. He's going to. But you still are in charge of how you respond. And you do have the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But you got to be walking with God. Church can't be an afterthought. It can't be, you know. I'm, and you guys are here, so I'm not... But I mean, the church ought to be full every time the doors are open. They just should be. Especially in that crazy world out there, that world is whacked completely out. Totally whacked out. There, there, I'm, I'm going to say to them that sounds really... Ne- there's no hope out there. There isn't. We've had a Republican and a Democrat as president in the last 12 months, and you can't tell the difference. Well, somebody's not tweeting all the time. Yeah, but somebody can't... The other one can't talk, so I mean... We got the same problem. One, one talk too much and one doesn't say anything. And, 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 and the, the country was in trouble a year ago and the country's in trouble a year later. You know, and I'm not being mean about any of that. I'm just saying what it tells us is our hope can't be out there. I'm, I'm going to tell you how you can get back in charge. You don't have to wait for an election to get in charge of your life. You just take this Bible right here and start living it. Start living this word. Pastor Ginger and I have been doing this 39 years, now going on 40 years together. And we talked about it the other night. I said, you know what? I'm going to do this to the last day I'm here on this planet. I'm believing for 120 years, according to Genesis 6 and 3, not the 70, by raising the strength, 80, and, and over in Psalms. That was not even given as a promise. That was given as an example. The example, uh, that, you know, over in Genesis. But, you know, he said, well, why don't you die? Why if you die when you're 80? Well, I'll be serving
0: God. You've been listening to the outreach.fm podcast with your host, Pastor William Luffman. We hope you've gotten some inspiration from this show. We enjoyed bringing it to you. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, reach out online. Find our website at faithoutreach.org. The streaming platform is livestreamchurch.com. Get an inspirational shot at a doseofhope.com. You've been listening to outreach.fm. And remember, no matter what the weather may seem like in your life, The sun's going to shine again.